And so the mindset shift is that, yes, there are business development principles that stand the test of time, some such as the ones we've just been discussing. But for each individual person, there's a way for you to do it in a way that makes sense for you. This is the Authority Builder Podcast. This is the place to come if you're building a professional practice and you want to be seen as the leader in your market. We're going to interview the top experts throughout professional services, and we're going to share insights with you to help you grow your firm and be positioned as the only choice that clients ever want. Welcome to the Authority Builder Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and today we've got a fantastic interview for you. If you've ever wondered how to go get more business, uh, today this is another one of our series of interviews for attorneys and law firms. And I'm interviewing Elise Holtzman. She's a former practicing lawyer. She's an executive coach and consultant and CEO of The Lawyer's Edge, where for the past 14 years, she and her team have helped work with law firms to grow thriving businesses by helping lawyers really become better at at, uh, business development and become better leaders. She's the creator of the Lawyers Making Rain program for law firms and the Ignite Women's Business Development Accelerator for Women Partners and Counsel. And she speaks frequently for law firms and bar associations. She's the host of the Lawyer's Edge podcast. And she writes articles for publications like law.com and Law360. I am very excited to have her here, Elise Holtzman. Welcome to the Authority Builder podcast. Steve, thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, so um, we work with attorneys all the time. And I can tell you one of the most important things that keeps them up at night is how am I going to go find clients? How do I do this business development thing? And the thing is funny. I hear it from almost every attorney I talk to. It's, you know, they didn't teach us that in law school. So, That's uh, so for I think sure. this is, yeah, this is going to be really timely. So how did you get to the stage of, of life where you're coaching lawyers, you know, you practice law before, but how did, how did business development become something that you're just really great at? If somebody had told me 20 years ago that I would be doing this, I would have thought they were crazy because the thought hadn't even crossed my mind. I didn't even know what coaching was. Nobody had really mentioned business development to me. I was at big law firms in New York City where there was plenty of work to be done. And I was an associate. Um, When I left the law, I was a very senior associate, but even then nobody mentioned business development to me. So what happened was I practiced law. I absolutely loved it. Um, I then, you know, married to a lawyer. We went and had a baby. It got crazy. You know, you can imagine big law practice in New York City. We were working a zillion hours a week. There was no such thing as part time. There was no such thing as a coach. Um, I didn't have lawyers in my family, so I, I didn't know how to make it all work. And I thought, well, I've tried this thing. They they liked me enough that they did give me part time. And I was still working 70 hours a week when I was supposed to be working 40 part time and making 80 percent of my salary. And I threw my hands up and I said, this doesn't work. And so I wound up being home with my kids for a while. And, you know, one kid turned into two and two turned into three and that sort of thing. And then it became a question of what am I going to be when I grow up? And I learned about leadership and executive coaching. And I thought, great. This seems to combine everything I love and everything I think I'm good at. So I studied that and then started coaching lawyers, not necessarily knowing what I was going to be helping them with. And very selfishly, I started learning about how to bring clients in because I I didn't come from an entrepreneurial family. And as you pointed out, they don't teach this stuff in law school. So there I am with a business and I've got to figure out how to bring in clients. I started noticing that by accident, I guess, I, I was teaching my clients how to bring in business and they were finding success. So when I realized that was happening and also realized how much 
I loved it, I decided to focus most of my practice in that area. And so that's been going on for nearly 14 years at this point. That's awesome. Congratulations. You know, business development is not something that most professionals think of when they they don't wake up in the morning going, yeah, I'd love to do that. Most of them think, I don't want to be salesy. I, I don't own any plaid jackets. So I, I don't want to look like that used car salesperson. Right. So uh, of all of the areas, what was it that drew you to that? And what in the early days, what did you find really made your business development efforts successful? That's an interesting question. I think what drew me to it, well, a couple things. First of all, I love to help other people achieve success. Everybody's motivated by something, right? And I think when you find what your core motivator is, that's very helpful. And so one of the things for me is that what gets me out of bed in the morning is helping other people feel that they're reaching their potential. So that was a huge part of it. When I saw other people bringing in business, getting excited about it, realizing that it was helping them achieve their goals, I got more excited about it. For me, I think what drew me to business development, certainly for myself, and, and then again, for others was this idea of relationship development. So much of what we do as attorneys to bring in business is relationship-based. Not all of it, right? We live in a digital world and, and we live in an interconnected world and we live in a, a content marketing sort of world now as well, but much of it is relationship-focused. And I just love learning about people. I love hearing their stories. I love finding out what makes them tick. And to be able to do that as part of what is required for me to succeed just made me happy. And it was a natural fit for me. That's great. And um, that's one of the things I love about doing a podcast. Um, and I'm sure you do too uh, with your podcast. Uh, I, I love the name of your program, Lawyers Making Rain. As you're guiding an attorney, a, a new client through your process, where do you begin kind of getting them organized to go develop a book of business? So lawyers tend to like structure, right? And so I love that you use, use the word organized because we know that there are certain personality types that tend to show up in the legal profession. You know, we self-selected into law school. And so certainly not all lawyers, but the vast majority of lawyers like to have some structure and they like to have some direction and they like to execute on specific concrete tasks. And so this idea of this big unknown of business development is this big cloudy thing it can feel really overwhelming and so over the years i i came to find that business development tends to have three pillars what i call the three pillars of business development and that focusing in on things in each of those three pillars is very important and will help you move ahead and so if it's okay with you i could share what those three pillars are um, I think, and like I said, I think it gives people a structure on which to hang, if you want to call it that, their business development activities. The first one is relationship development, right? One of the things that we talked about, and I think that's kind of more equal than the other two. Um, I think it's the place to start. And I talk about nurturing relationships and growing relationships. And they're two different things. Nurturing relationships is doubling down on making sure you're developing relationships and consistently staying in touch with people that are already part of your world. They're already in your network. And maybe you haven't talked to them for a while, and that's okay because you can reconnect with them, but you're you're making sure that those relationships are attended to and paid attention to. And then there's the growth piece, right? We always want to be adding new people to our network that we think we can help they may be able to help us. Maybe they're a good referral source for you. Maybe they are a good ultimate client for you, but making sure that you're paying attention to the relationships. The second pillar is visible expertise. 
And so I have this horrible joke that goes something along the lines of if an expert falls over in the forest and nobody knows about it, right? Are you really an expert? Is your expertise serving you? You don't want to be a best kept secret. And so that doesn't mean going out there and pounding your chest and telling everybody how great you are. It is about that content marketing, if you want to call it that, right? That's kind of the, the the term of art that people are using these days, but going out there and sharing your knowledge and being helpful to people and, and letting them see by demonstrating to them that you can deliver value to them in whatever area of expertise you have. So that could be speaking. For example, me being on your podcast today, right? Is that I'm I'm out there, I'm visible, people are hearing what I have to say. People come and join me on my podcast and then they publish that stuff. They let other people know, oh, I've been on this The Lawyer's Edge podcast. Uh, it could be writing articles, blog posts, uh, being on panels, doing a keynote, giving webinars, giving seminars. There are lots of different ways that you can add value for other people and it doesn't necessarily have to cost you anything. Um, and so when you get known, people see you as a credible, choosable expert. And then the third pillar is what I call the three T's of leadership growth. And those three T's are thoughts, time, and team. So thoughts is all about the mindset that we have. And when you say to yourself something along the lines of, well, I don't want to be a salesperson, so I'm not going to go out there because I could get myself in trouble. It's risky. What will people think about me? That's going to get in your way. If you think to yourself, there are other people who know more about this topic than I do. And so I, what right do I have to put myself out there as somebody who knows something that's going to get in your way. So the thoughts piece is about cultivating a mindset where you say to yourself, you know what, I have something to offer people and I just want to get out there and serve and deliver value. And that will enable you to move forward. The second piece is time. And so this one, I'm sort of laughing because, and you talk to a lot of lawyers and I'm sure you've heard it. You don't understand. I just don't have time to do this. And lawyers are very, very busy. And traditionally they are evaluated on how many hours they bill. And so it's understandable that it feels like a major opportunity cost. If you take time away from billable hours to develop business. The challenge is that law firms historically have overemphasized what billable hours gets you in terms of compensation and promotion and underemphasized everything else. And so the thing is that everyone has the same 24-7 and it's simply a question of how you choose to allocate it. So it's a matter of making it a priority and then building time into your calendar where you are intentionally going about the business of connecting with people in the ways that we've discussed. And then the third piece is team. And many people don't think about this when it comes to business development, but I think it's really important. Imagine that you're doing really well and you suddenly start bringing in great business, you bring in a major case or transaction and you look around and you realize that you really don't have anybody to help you with it because you've really siloed yourself. You've lived by the motto, if I want something done right, I have to do it myself, which is a popular one among lawyers. Um, and so now you really can't handle it. And so I think that becoming a better leader can't be separated from the business development journey, learning how to motivate people, learning how to get people to be willing to essentially run through a wall for you in the same way that you've done for other people so that when the time comes, they can do the work and serve the client and you can free up your time for higher level activities, such as taking really good care of your clients and cultivating other clients. So I those are that. the three and pillars. 
Yes, I love that. And um, gosh, there's so much there. I, you, you mentioned like the thoughts and I can't tell you how many professionals I have worked with who would tell me, you know, I, I can't go out and do that or I can't, I'm, I'm so afraid if I release this article, what will people think? And uh, I remember one client in particular, a monthly newsletter was a major major like psychological challenge for him um, and every month because he was so worried about what people would think about him. And the fact of the matter around the whole thing was when he sent that out, people loved it. People were drawn closer to him. And I think that a lot of that ties into your your second pillar, you know, this idea of of being visible and kind of making your expertise visible to people. So much of us, uh, so much of what we do in in any profession is hidden from our future clients. You know, you've got to do it. It's done in the office. It's done in private often because it needs to be. But all of the great thinking and the ideas and the strategies that you bring to clients are invisible to the rest of the world. And so someone who is looking to work with you all of a sudden doesn't, they have to just trust that maybe you're the right what you know maybe you're the right attorney for me you know and they're not even likely to find you i mean that's the that's the challenge is that there could be lawyers out there who are not nearly as skilled as you are and maybe don't even care about their clients as much as you do but because they are the ones out there they look like the viable choice exactly exactly you know i used to always compare i'd give speeches and i'd compare putting that kind of content out to like being the 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 guy behind the counter at the deli right it's so easy to sell some cheese, whatever's on special for the week, because you just hand out samples, but you can't do that with, you know, what an attorney does. The only way to just to sort of demonstrate what you can do is to write or speak and put it out there, put those ideas out there. So I, I love the way that you've structured that. So as you're taking, you know, your clients through this, what are some of the the breakthroughs that you see happen as they begin to apply some of, of these ideas? One of the things that I see happen is that there is a mindset shift when they realize that, first of all, they don't have to do business development the way other people do business development. And I think that's part of the challenge is that sometimes the only avatars, if you will, that they have for business development are a couple of people at their own firm who have always done things a certain way. And so they say, well, if that's the model for business development, I'm not doing that because that uh, that's uncomfortable for me. You know, that person's in a different generation or grew up differently from me and my life doesn't look that way. Um, you know, a, a perfect, although slightly out of date example is women saying, well, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not going to go out on the golf course for, you know, six hours on Saturday and six hours on Sunday and business gets done on the golf course. And that's how all of the older guys always did it. So obviously I can't develop business. And so the mindset shift is that, yes, there are business development principles that stand the test of time, some such as the ones we've just been discussing. But for each individual person, there's a way for you to do it in a way that makes sense for you, right? That feels authentic to you, that feels like it leverages your strengths, your personality, uh, the things you like to do, the things you don't like to do, the kinds of people you want to hang out with. And so I think that that's a huge a huge piece of it. Another thing that I see happen is that people realize that there's not as much risk there as they may think. So you mentioned this idea of, oh my gosh, if I put something out there, what if somebody thinks it's not the best thing in the world? What if somebody disagrees with me, for example? And lawyers by nature are not risk takers. 
I think we self-select into law school not being risk takers, and then they kind of beat the risk taking out of us while we're there, um, along with potentially some creativity. And we come out thinking the worst. And so you hear people say things all the time, like, what's the worst that could happen? And I kind of hate that question. I prefer the question, what's the most likely thing to happen? And when you put out some content, the most likely thing to happen is that First of all, most people on the planet are not going to see it, right? Hopefully the, the ones you want to see it are going to see it. And there's some art form there and making sure that happens. Um, but as you point out, people are grateful for the information. They're interested in the information. And also being middle of the road and not taking a position on anything kind of makes you plain vanilla. So think about the people that we know in pop culture who are taking kind of, and I'm not suggesting lawyers want to be taking controversial positions, but it's okay to have a viewpoint. So you think about the people in pop culture that take these controversial positions and they're in the press all the time because they're interesting. So people are paying attention even if they don't agree with them. And so I think the most likely outcome is that the people who are interested in what you have to say and agree with you are going to be more interested in you, hanging out with you, following with you, talking to you and potentially hiring you. And the people who don't like what you have to say or don't like your viewpoint are just not going to pay attention. And in some ways, that's good because, you know, in marketing, you almost want to repel the people who aren't a good fit for you and be fishing in the fish pond of people who are interested in what you have to say. It's so counterintuitive. Nobody ever wants to do it. But you and I both know that that's what works better than anything else. And, you know, I love that idea of trying to take a, a controversial position. And it doesn't have to be that scary. You know, like if you're specialized in an area uh, you know, of practice or work with a specific group of clients, you can take a controversial position that is only meaningful to those clients, you know, that's industry specific. And you'd be amazed at, at the good it can do. Um, so yeah, I love that. Um, and that's an easy way to make it, you know, like less risky is you're not, you're not taking some stand against, you know, the, the latest election or something like that. I mean, in th this day and age, that'll depending on which side you're on, that'll get you in real trouble. But yeah, so I think that's a great way to go about it. So as you, you're you working someone through this and they're starting to get themselves out there more, are, are there business development methods that you are, are finding, at least today, that are working better for attorneys, you know, maybe better than things that had worked in the past? I think that it is important for people to be seen. Again, this goes back to the combination. It's a combination, really, of relationship development and visible expertise. And so I think that people getting very, very focused on an area of practice to the extent possible is important because it makes it so much easier to figure out where to go next. So for example, if you say something along the lines of, I am an employment lawyer and I represent companies who are being sued for something that one employee allegedly did to another employee, then it becomes a lot easier to figure out which conferences should I go to? You know, what stages do I want to be on? What publications do I want to write for? What organizations do I want to join and become a part of? You know, a lot of corporate folks or litigators who say, well, I can do anything that comes in the door, right? I don't want to pick an area. So I think that it's important to have a broad range of skills so that you can spot issues for your clients, but you don't have to be the one handling all of them. And so to the extent possible, I think focusing on a particular area, even if it means that you do some other things that come in the door, but that's not what you're talking about, right? People say, well, I don't want to only focus on X. Well, you don't have to only focus on X, but you could potentially focus your speaking and your writing on X and then do other things that come in, right? People want specialists 
they want people who really understand deeply what the particular topic is. So I do think that these days being able to put your stake in the ground and say what it is you do, it's just not easy anymore to say that you're a generalist um, because nobody knows what that means and they want to go find the expert. And then I think that making sure that you are hitting some of these different points that you are when you get involved in an organization, for example, people will say something to me like, well, I'm involved in the Bar Association, but I've never gotten any business out of it. Well, tell me about your involvement. Well, I'm a member. I've been a member for 20 years. And, you know, I typically go to a holiday party, you know, once a year and, you know, I read their stuff and that's how I'm involved. I think that real involvement means volunteering for a committee, chairing a committee, you know, speaking for the organization, being willing to pitch in and help. That's how you get to know people who know other people. That's how you get to know people in the organization who are then going to refer you or ask you to write something. Um, you, you get to know your community. They get to know you. So it's not just about paying lip service to it and getting annoyed when something isn't working. Right. It's about figuring out what really works focusing and being intentional. Absolutely. And I think that's where being specialized can really be an advantage because when you go to an industry organization like the bar, you're in there with effectively competitors. But if you've got a specialty that makes you stand out, now all of a sudden you become sort of the rare and in-demand expert that someone will need to bring in to help their clients. It just makes it so much easier. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, one of the things that I, I will say that I recommend to people is if you're starting out and you're saying, I don't have time to be in 87 organizations, you are correct. You do not have time to be in 87 organizations, um, nor does it make any sense. So if you want to choose, let's say, two organizations to be involved with, maybe pick one organization um, that is the bar or something like that. And we'll get back to that in a second. And then maybe another organization where your clients typically hang out, right? Where do they get their information? What publications do they read? Where do they hear from other experts in their field? Um, and where do they congregate? And how can you serve them, right? And so, you have again, you have to make these choices. Now, going back to the Bar Association for a minute, when you do have an area of focus and you find that other people have an area of focus, the Bar Association can have the benefits of a big law firm without the aggravation, right? You have people in that organization who recognize you as somebody who is a leading authority in a particular area and they're willing to make referrals to you. First of all, it makes them a hero to their clients and to people they care about because now, you know, I go to you and I say, Steve, I really trust you and I need help with X. And now you've referred me to somebody who can really help me. Um, it, you know, and it, it gives you the opportunity to be able to pay it back to them if you can in some way, whether it's making a referral to them or even making a restaurant recommendation for them or even reaching out to them on their birthday, right? There are a lot of ways in which we can create community and we can kind of raise the, you know, have, it's like a rising tide lifts all ships kind of a thing where we can, we can create more abundance for everyone. And so I think it's very, very important to get involved in that way and not necessarily, yes, some of those folks are your competitors, but look, I have competitors, Steve, you have competitors. And the way I like to look at it is, there are more than 1.3 million lawyers in this country. I can't serve all of them. Um, so yes, there are competitors out there. Um, but I think that if you go into it with more of an abundance mentality and a way of looking at the world that says, I'm going to serve the people that are right for me to serve, and they're going to serve the people that are right for them to serve, you're going to find a lot of opportunity where even competitors will refer work to you. They might be conflicted out, so they can't take it, or maybe the, the matter is too big for them or too small for them. And so there's a lot of opportunity there, even among competitors. 
Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I see professionals get caught up in this all the time. They, they think that if they give up any opportunity, it's going to you know, ruin their business. But the truth of the matter is for most of us in any kind of a professional service business, there are only so many clients we can take in any given time period. You know, most attorneys probably can't handle more than 10 or 20 new cases at the high end in a month coming in. And that's if you've got a pretty competent team, uh, you know, and depending on what it is and some maybe one a month or one a quarter you know, if it's a really big case is all you could ever handle. That really simplifies the numbers, doesn't it? It it makes it easier. And it also means that you have to think about who do I want to work with, right? Sometimes if you give up the good, you make way for the great, right? Which is obviously not my expression, but you, you don't want to keep working with duds, right? There are clients that you don't like. There are clients that suck the life out of you. Um, you know, there's the 80, 20 rule, right? So there are certain, a, a certain percent of your clients, 20% of your clients, let's say that give you 80% of the headaches. If you say no to some of those kinds of clients, you're then going to open yourself up to the opportunity to have the kinds of clients that you really want to have. Yeah, it's because how else do you up level? There are people who say, oh, my clients are this and that. And I really want this kind of client, but they're not willing to say no to anything. And they're not willing to really focus on getting those, quote unquote, better clients. And so one of the ways to do that is to make referrals to somebody else who is willing to take those clients. Perhaps for that person, these are his or her ideal clients. And you make way for the ones that are a better fit for you. Yeah, that's exactly right. I love that. Just you have to make that space so that you can be open to to taking on those those amazing clients. So I know we've got just a few minutes left. I have a couple of questions I want to make sure we get to before we finish. One um, is around mistakes. And I'd love for you to talk through some of the, the mistakes that, that you've seen attorneys make as it comes to you know business development. And then I want to make sure that we, are, we share with people before we wrap up also how they can find out more about you and the programs you offer because you guys are doing such great work. So um, let's start with the mistakes. What If you could warn the attorneys listening to this, what not to do, what would be the number one thing not to do that you would tell them? Well, particularly for law firm leaders, I would say stop making assumptions about your lawyers. Stop deciding in advance who you think is going to be able to develop business and who you think isn't going to develop business. I think there are many lawyers who think to themselves that either you have it or you don't, right? Either you've got that fire in the belly, you've got that ability, or you don't, and that business developers and rainmakers are born, not made. And so while it's true that there are some people who seem to just spring into existence, you know, spring from the womb, knowing how to do this stuff, right? Knowing how to develop relationships, knowing how to talk about what they do in a compelling way, knowing how to share their value with audiences. For most people, this is something that can be learned. And I also think another mistake is waiting to learn the skills and behaviors and attitudes of business developers. I believe that as a first-year associate, while nobody expects you to bring in a lot of business or any business for the foreseeable future, you can nurture the relationships you've already established. At some point, those people are going to become decision makers. They're going to become people who can direct business and refer business. So don't put your nose to the grindstone and do the work for 10 years. Wake up one morning and say, hey, I've been a loyal employee. I'd like to make partner. Because what you are more than not likely to hear is something along the lines of, well, where's your book of business? And then you're going to be 
in a position of saying, I'm sorry, what? What are you talking about? What what book of business? You never mentioned this to me before, and now all of a sudden you want this. So for individual lawyers, don't put your head in the sand and pretend this isn't important. If you want the ability to call the shots in your own career, if you want to be able to be portable and go somewhere that's a better fit for you, developing business is very important. And so starting to develop those skills, even if your peers are not in a position to, to, to send you business yet, is absolutely critical because as we all know, it's a lot harder to teach an old dog new tricks, right? Than it is to have that as part of something you've been doing just, you know, by you know your entire career. It's just easier to develop those skills over time. So I think that that on both sides of this, believing that people can't make rain and then suddenly saying, oh, but you can do it all at once just doesn't make any sense. And and so a, a final and, and listen, this is a little self-serving for me to say this. Um for obvious reasons, because this is what I do for a living. But I really believe that law firms should be training and coaching and encouraging their lawyers to bring in business and foster a culture in the law firm that encourages everyone in the law firm to be part of business development, regardless of how they participate in that. And to be giving people opportunities at every stage of development to learn the skills, the behaviors, the attitudes and beliefs of successful rainmakers, and then give them that support so that training isn't enough, right? Doing one training in, you know, 2015 and saying, well, I don't understand why they and I'll bring in business it is a mistake. I think that having ongoing and training, training and coaching, and they're two different things, right? Training is really about knowledge transfer. Like, hey, here are some ideas, here are some principles, here are some things you can do. And coaching is about having someone walk the path with you, customizing it along with you, and then holding you accountable to your own goals. And so I think it's a mistake to say, well, uh, we want more lawyers to develop business, but we're not going to help them figure it out. You wouldn't do that with a transaction. You wouldn't do that with a case. You don't expect lawyers to be fully formed practitioners when they come out of law school. So why are you expecting people to be able to develop business simply because you tell them it's a good idea? I love that. That That is kind of the mic drop moment right there. Um, I love that. So where can people find out more about the work that you're doing and and how you're helping attorneys and law firms? Well, in case you can't tell, I just love talking to people and love meeting new people. So feel free to reach out to me uh, by going through our website, which is thelawyersedge.com. And um, you can also subscribe to our podcast, which is also called The Lawyer's Edge, conveniently enough. You can you just have to remember one name. Um, and then you can also find me on LinkedIn, where you can connect with me uh, under the name Elise Holtzman. Awesome. Elise, this is fantastic. I got to tell you, the, the structure that you laid out early on in our conversation today is one that... For anyone listening, you should go back and take notes on um, because you really lay out, you know, those three pillars of how to think about this. And I think it just gives some someone really a great framework for building out their business development plan. So thanks for that. Um, I know it's going to impact uh, a lot of our listeners and uh, folks go to thelawyersedge.com and find out more. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Authority Builder Podcast. Here are three ways you can expand your authority. Number one, get a copy of the Million Dollar Book. In it, I show you how to multiply your authority by writing a best-selling book in less than 90 days guaranteed. After all, you're the best spokesperson for your ideas. Go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash book and get your copy. Number two, join me for an upcoming Write Your Million Dollar Book Accelerator and let's jumpstart your authority building book now. For upcoming dates, go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash accelerator. And number three, 
Work with me and my team to get your book done and bringing in business. Email me at steve at authoritybuilderpodcast.com and put, I want to write a book in the subject line. See you soon.